Hello and welcome to the Good Robot Andy's Season 6, Episode 13. My name is Andy Balam and this is... Andy Cockerell. And this time your microphone is working. Yes it is, I've got actual noise coming through. Which That's is good. <laughs> and the film we're going to talk about tonight is... Midsommar. Midsommar. Yes, or Midsommar, which is probably... To give it its, its, its proper title. So is, it, is it supposed to be said with an accent? Yes, it is. Is it a West- will, Oh, you can't tell me. I can't tell you. I'll okay. go into it in a moment. <laughs> okay. So, um, <laughs> based entirely on the title and knowing nothing at all about this film, yeah. um, I'm going to give you a plot summary um, and tell you who stars in it. So, okay. Uh, the plot summary is that it is a Nordic uh, tale uh, based in dark, dingy woodland um, about. Uh, something that might be Nordic gods kind of um, uh, leaking into the modern world in a rural setting um, or might just be something weird that can't particularly be explained Uh, and it stars um, uh, that bloke out of Grange Hill that bloke out of Grange Hill? Yeah. Which one? Zamo. Zamo. Oh, Zamo. Yeah. Zamo. Yeah. The one who was on heroin. Yeah, the, well, the character was, yeah. Yeah, the, obviously. The yes, character not Zamo. The actor. I mean, I did no, call him Zamo. So, yeah. The actor wasn't a smackhead. The character was, yeah. yeah. Um, that's that's remarkably... I mean, it's, it doesn't star Zamo from Grange Hill. <laughs> I was like right on the money until then. Not right on the money, but close. Really? Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes, close. I'm getting good um, at this. Yes, you are. Uh, interesting, it's not a rollicking Disney adventure. No. No, well, when it is, title, I'll know it. I don't think the title Midsommar, Midsommar leads itself to being a rollicking Disney adventure. Is it pronounced by Arnie? Is that the... Mid- no, that would be Midsommar. 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 <laughs> Midsommar. <laughs> but before we get into the movie, mm. we've got a couple of any other business. Okay, okay, okay. Um, You're not so even going to tell me what accent it's pronounced in? Uh, I can say it's Swedish. Okay, I was thinking West Country. No, it's not. It's not Midsummer. Okay, Midsummer. No. (laughs) You know that. You know that Midsummer. (laughs) It's not that. Okay. No, it's not that. No. When you did Um, Arnie, it sounded like Arnie doing a West Country accent. Well, I'm sure it did. Yes. Midsummer. Yeah. Midsummer. (laughs) It's difficult. Difficult to (laughs) do on purpose. Anyway. Um, yes, it's been a while since we've done one of these. Mm. I th- uh, last one was sometime in November, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe, maybe before that, actually. It was the twenty-first of October. Gosh. Yeah, ages ago now. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, there's a couple of couple of bits of any other business. Uh, the first first one is um, concerning uh, a movie producer called Robert Evans. Who very sadly died um, in October this mm-hmm. year? What do we uh, know was, him from? Okay, so he was an actor before he was a producer. Okay. So we're talking sort of old school Hollywood producers here. He was born in 1930, and he was an actor before he was a producer and and a studio executive at Warner Brothers. Um, most famously, he ushered m- movies such as Rosemary's Baby, oh, which, wow. we t- which we talked about on this pod. Yeah. 
Love Story, which um, I think has its admirers. I don't particularly like it. I think it's quite a soapy movie. But more importantly, I think for listener, The Godfather. Wow. And Chinatown. I did so not know that. That is, I would say, four pretty zeitgeisty movies that he well was known. at the time um, not Warner Brothers, uh, Paramount Pictures. He was the head of Paramount Pictures. Um, however, in the 1980s, his career and life took a downturn after he pleaded guilty to cocaine trafficking. And in the next 12 years, he only produced two films. The Cotton Club, which is a Francis Ford Coppola movie, and the Chinatown sequel, The Two Jakes, which gets a bad rap, The Two Jakes, but I actually think it's not terrible. Uh, I think it's very hard to follow up Chinatown. Okay, I don't think I've seen Chinatown. He, okay, so um, that is one for your watch list, Chinatown. Yeah, okay, it's, uh, okay. it's on TV quite a lot, so okay. it's, it's fantastic, Chinatown. I like The Godfather. Yeah, so, you know, I think that he took a chance on auteur directors such as Roman Polanski and Coppola uh, at a time when maybe other people probably wouldn't have taken a chance on them. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly for a movie like, I mean, The Godfather. I think maybe these days you might look at it as a situation where you say, well, why wouldn't you make The Godfather? But actually, there's a lot of reasons why you wouldn't make Mm -hmm. it, in that it starred uh, an older Marlon Brando, um, who was past his prime as far as star power was concerned. Yeah, and it really, really takes its time, and there's no... Yes, it's very slow moving. There's no guarantee at all that the audience is going to go with it. No, exactly. Turns out they do, but when you were preparing it, you couldn't know that. And a young... I'd say pretty untested Al Pacino. Right. Um, but it does have a really solid supporting cast, and it's based on a on a blockbuster novel. So you kind of weigh, weigh those things up. Maybe mm. you would make it these days, but, you know, he was taking a chance on it back then. Mm. So, and of course, that, that gave Francis Ford Coppola his career, basically. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, interesting guy, Robert Evans. We won't see that kind of, the kind of person who lived their entire life in the entertainment industry. That was his thing. Um, Is that not his thing anymore? No, not really. I think that that lots of producers these days, they start out maybe um, going to law school or in a different profession altogether, and then they get into movie producing maybe as a as a sort of as a sidestep kind of thing. Okay. Um, but yeah, I don't think so. Uh, I think that it's unusual these days for someone to be an actor that who's then becomes the head of a of a studio. Yeah, I was a bit uh, surprised to hear that. Yeah, um, he was married one, two, three, four, five, seven times. Classic Hollywood. Classic Hollywood. Um, he was at one time married to Ali McGraw, who was also married to Steve McQueen after this. Um. Catherine Oxenberg, he was married to, I've heard of her. I think she was an actress as well. It makes you wonder how it felt to be like wife number six. Yes, exactly. Perhaps he was husband number six and that was Maybe he normal. was, yeah. Maybe he was. I mean, he didn't stay married to uh, somebody called Phyllis George. He was married for one year. 
Uh, also, Catherine Oxenberg married in one year. In fact, the marriage was annulled, which I think means that nothing happened. Um, Leslie Ann Woodward, two years. So, uh, yes, he didn't stay married for very long to any of these people. I presume he was a difficult person to be around. Um, and maybe he chose people who were also difficult to be around. Um, so that's Robert Evans. The other the other bit of any other business is uh, an article that uh, was shared by a guy called Simon Brew, who uh, curates the Film Stories website, which I heartily recommend. There is also a podcast called Film Stories, which is very good, in which he goes into detail about a movie. He actually does two movies in every podcast about the history of the production history and Does it how... have spoilers? Oh, yes, definitely. So yes, if you like this podcast with its spoilers, yeah. there will be spoilers, listener. There will be in this podcast. Um, I'd say his podcast isn't as spoilery as ours. Right. But, um, it's, but it, I mean, it has the advantage of being an awful lot better, presumably. Um, I'd say not, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think ours is better. Oh, okay, ours is, yeah. Well, I mean, but ours I, really good. But he's 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 great, Simon Brew. He's one of the founders of Den of, Den of Geek. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, so he's um you know he's a he's a lovely guy. He's a really nice guy. But he posted an article in November all about uh, cinema pricing, specifically um, multiplex pricing. So we're talking about chains like Odeon and View and Cineworld. Right, and it was about variable pricing. Is that right? Yes. So you sent it to me. Yes, it's about variable pricing and how you might be paying up to £2.50 mm-hmm. on top of a regular ticket price mm-hmm. for a blockbuster movie. Mm-hmm. And he was, and they looked into why that is so. And what they discovered is that the, the movie studios, so in the case of um, Star Wars and any Marvel movie, it's driven by Disney, is that they, they call it dynamic pricing – Mm-hmm. or at least the chains call it dynamic pricing, but it's driven by the studios who are basically putting up the price of how much it costs to screen the film. Well, and, in and then the, the early time when it's getting shown. Yes, absolutely, yes. So uh, I didn't know this was happening because um, I've, that... I've never actually encountered this, to be honest. Neither have I. But then, you know, I don't go to the cinema. But uh, so isn't that weird? Because don't they want a lot of people to see it on its opening weekend? Yes, and they know they know very well that people will obviously pay the pay the premium. Okay. Oh, so you're saying that it's they're actually just looking to make as much profit on that opening weekend as opposed to wanting yes. very big numbers. You know, like like the analogy in my head is record companies that buy their own singles so that they get to the, get high in the charts. Yeah, but well, that would, used to happen. I was yeah. thinking there would be something like that here where they want to get big box office numbers for that opening weekend, but clearly not. Clearly they just they know that they're going to be filling the cinema's capacity so they want to just maximize the money they get from that, is that? Yeah, right? and that will drive the that will drive the box office. Oh, I see. So it'll drive the financial figures because it's done in money rather than yes number of people okay, exactly okay. yeah number of people is irrelevant okay it's it's the um it's the dollar it's the money that's weird that's isn't important. it why isn't it number of people yeah i know um so but the article does say it's wrong to lay this at the chain at the foot of the multiplexes and say that they're being greedy because actually this is being pushed onto them by the likes of disney 
who now own Fox as well. So, you know, Disney can basically just say, this is how much it is. It's kind of mob capitalism, in a way. What's it's wrong kind with of it, like, Pardon? What's wrong with it? I mean, if people are prepared to pay money to go earlier... Well, they're, they're not going earlier. It's well, th- they're going at release time. Yeah, but it, like if they want to pay less, they can just wait and go the week later. Yes, they can. So yes. what's wrong with it? What's wrong with it is it's mob capitalism. It's... Uh, we're going to push. We're going to what? It means that we're going to push this high price onto you, and if you say no, then you don't get the film. Right. That's like <laughs> that's just like selling a thing. <laughs> I mean, that's capitalism. I agree. Yeah, but it's pretty. It's pretty. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Unscrupulous. Why? Why? Well, because it's is it, is it unscrupulous because people won't be expecting that they have to pay more. Um, I think because it, you've got to the situation where it's expected that it will happen. So in and that case, it's just the price of the thing, right? So what's? Yeah, so I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced by that argument. Um, I think that Disney are using the fact that they own so so much IP now to say, "Look, we own all this stuff. You either have it or you don't." Oh, you think it's anti-competitive? Yes, maybe it that's, is. That's yeah. what I'm looking for. Yeah, anti- anti-competitive, because they own so much stuff. And there's no other blockbuster on, apart from ones that have, have also had their price pushed up by the same company. Yes, exactly, yeah. All right, I, mean, I could, that's I the could thing. buy that. Yeah, I, I, I think it is anti-competitive. I think Disney are using their massive amounts of clout to, um, to drive that. At least they didn't make the Star Wars prequels. That is true. Yeah, we we only we have George Lucas to blame for that in its entirety. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that. That's that. Uh, so film stories. There is a magazine you can order it. I'm not sure whether it's sold in stores. And there's also film stories Junior. Junior. Every time I see that, I think Junior like um. Oh, Sean Connery and Harrison Ford in Last Crusade. Junior, oh, Junior. Like, we I was called the, the film, dog, too. Indiana. You are Henry Jones Jr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's go. better than the film, Junior. That was my... Oh, oh, yeah, Junior's not a great movie. No. no. Um, that's the any other business, anyway. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. So tell me about this film. Okay, so the film, let's go back to the film. Is called Midsommar. 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 It's a 2019, so it's brand spanking oh, wow. new. We're so up to date. If we hadn't spent out, 15 minutes talking about something else, we'd be <laughs> really. It came out this July. Um, uh, it's a folk horror film. I was so right, wasn't I? Yes. Written and directed by Ari Aster. Mm-hmm. Now, his previous uh, feature film was a movie called Hereditary. Which you may have heard of. Is that the one you told me I should give a chance to and I haven't seen yeah, it? I don't know. I can't remember. Um, yes, um, I think you did. So, yes. Uh, it's his follow-up to Hereditary, which which I was considering talking about on this pod, but mm-hmm. I think it is quite a flawed movie. Mm-hmm. Um, in the In the way that... 
it desperately wants to be something. And although I do enjoy Hereditary, and I think it's got one of the bleakest endings of any horror mm-hmm. movie I've seen for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Um, in that it leaves you with no hope at all. Mm-hmm. Um, Midsommar is a much more rounded piece of work. Okay. Um, so Midsommar stars Florence Pugh, who is um, a very... I'd say very successful young actress who's been in a couple of really good movies before this one. Uh, notably, she was in a movie called Lady Macbeth. Okay. Uh, which is a very fine piece of work indeed. And then a movie that came out, I think, last year called Fighting With My Family, which was directed by Stephen Merchant. Oh, was she the um, the star of Fighting With My Family? Yes, yes. Yeah, I know who, I know who she is. Actually, Vince Vaughn is in that as well, and he's terrific. Yeah. In fact, um, wasn't it the person out of Pitch Perfect? Pitch Perfect. Maybe I'm wrong. Mm. It's weird we haven't featured Pitch Perfect on this uh, pod. Maybe we should at some point. Maybe you should talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I like um, it. Um, so Florence Pugh, Jack Rayner, who is um, an Irish actor who's been in some good movies, William Jackson Harper, Wilhelm Blomgren, and Will Poulter from... Son of Rambo, and many right. other movies. Name rings a bell. And it follows a group of friends who travel to Sweden for a festival that occurs once every 90 years mm-hmm. and find themselves in the clutches of a pagan cult. Okay, okay. So we definitely have shades of The Wicker Man. The Wicker Man, the, one of my favourite films. There's a touchstone for The Wicker Man, and also a movie we talked about on the pod a little while ago, what was that? The um the Netflix movie by Oh the guy who directed The Raid. Dunno. Gareth Evans. Yes, Gareth Evans. The Apostle, I think it was called. Um So there's this kind of dotted line to that, but but there's definitely huge shades of the Wicker Man in this movie. Cool. Um, so it was a co-production between the United States and Sweden. The film was initially pitched as a straightforward slasher film, but he devised a screenplay using elements of the concept that made a deteriorating relationship the central conflict after he'd experienced a difficult breakup. And it was shot on location in Budapest in the summer and autumn of 2018. So it's made very recently as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, let's talk about the plot. So, there is a deteriorating relationship at the, at the centre of this movie. That's a relationship between Florence Pugh's character and Jack Rayner's character. They're a couple, but they're kind of meandering. They're not really getting on that well, but they haven't really got to the point where they're thinking that they go through the painful breakup. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're just kind of existing in this relationship, but it's not going well at all. Um, but... Jack Rayner gets invited to this um, midsummer. Oh, sorry, I just looked her up. She's not the one out of Pitch Perfect. That's someone else. No, 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 no. She's not. No. Um, so Jack Rayner gets invited by one of his Swedish friends to this uh, festival. Uh, she isn't invited, but she turns up at their house and uh, says, "Well, can I come?" <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah, okay. Why not?" I mean, Jack Rayner's not that happy about it. I think he wants to get away and do something on his own. But anyway, mm-hmm. they all go along to this thing. And um, when they arrive, 
the first thing they're asked to do is consume magic mushroom tea. Nice. Which they do. And that kind of drives the, yeah, more psychedelic horror in this okay. movie. We're back on psychedelic horror more territory psychedelic after, horror. after Mandy. Although it's not as not as um, extreme as Mandy in the way that things happen there. Okay. So um, it's more that there's disorientation that adds to the horror rather than that being... Oh, yes. Sick. I mean, absolutely. I mean, when they arrive and they're asked to do this, the first thing you think is, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible idea. Yeah. Maybe just get check out where you are first, you know. Yeah. Or maybe just go home. <laughs> um, so tell, tell me about the festival. It's every 90 years, you say? Every 90 years. It and features a lot of eating and drinking. Okay. And, um, you know, people generally being slightly strange, but not strange enough that you think you want to leave. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a kind of heightened sense of reality that you think is maybe due to the fact that people are ingesting um, psychedelics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, and on for the... Uh, some of the folks who are going from America... Uh, one of them is a journalist, like a blogger, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he's recording some of the stuff that's happening. And the thing that they're invited to uh, witness is one of the, one of the rituals, one of the festival rituals. They're taken to the edge of a. Uh, they're looking up at a like a high cliff. On the top mm-hmm. of this high cliff, there's two people, two two of the elder people. Mm-hmm, and the mm-hmm. day before, these elder people have, have had like a fantastic supper for them. Mm-hmm. You can probably see where this is going. And Damien, this is for you. Quite, yes. So they're watching and then the man just steps off the cliff and uh, dies. Scary. And they're all just standing there thinking, what the hell's going on? The woman does the same. Actually, no, it's the other way around. The woman goes first, she dies. Mm-hmm. The man jumps and he doesn't die. Okay. So he's still alive on the ground, even though he, even though he's fallen a heck of a long way. And okay. obviously, so was, that, was that not supposed to happen? Or? I think he was supposed to die, but he didn't. Um, they're obviously incredibly disturbed by this. Yeah. And the Swedish guy who invited them is trying to placate them and say, "No, no, it's okay. It's this is just what we do. This is what happens every ninety years. It's perfectly yeah. normal for around here." Mm-hmm. Don't don't go, you know. Don't go. Yeah. He's very adamant that they stay, yeah. which is obviously <laughs> not good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this this event is called an atis atistupa, atistupa. Mm-hmm. Um, so two the two commune elders die by senicide, which I've not heard of before. What's that? I don't, I don't know. Look, look up what that is. Senicide. Uh, the abandonment to death, suicide, or killing of the elderly. Oh, as in senile. As I in didn't. Okay, so I did old. not know this. Senicide. Um. So yes, they're incredibly disturbed. They're persuaded to stay. Um. Partly because the the Swedish guy is trying to tell them it's just a tradition, and partly because. It, He's not a journalist. He's writing a thesis for university, this guy. This mm-hmm. guy called Josh. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, two of the party, called Simon and Connie, they decide to leave. Mm-hmm. 
And at this point, an elder tells her that Simon has already left for the train without her, at which point she decides to leave on her own. Um, mm -hmm. So it's starting to get a bit weird. Yeah. In that we don't see them and nobody knows where they are. But they're then told, oh, yes, no, we picked her up and we took her to the train station. They've left. Yeah, they've gone. They're fine. They live happily ever after. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. However, <laughs> the next day, um, Danny is uh, coerced into taking more psychedelics mm -hmm. and par participates in a maypole dancing competition, <laughs> which she magically manages to win. Right. Okay. Yeah. Just yeah. Uh, you know, out of chance. Yeah. She wins and is crowned May Queen and taken to the top of a cliff. <laughs> no, an esteemed title in the cult. Uh -huh. At the same time, Christian is drugged and participates in a ritual in which he Im attempts to impregnate one of the cultists in front of an audience. It's okay. really, really creepy and horrible. <laughs> um, after Danny discovers this happening, she has a panic attack. Panic attack. And several of the other women wail with her empathetically which is mm -hmm. very disturbing <laughs> um, and the cult gathers together a Christian is then paralysed he's given some kind of drug that paralyses him but he can mm. still see and feel right and he is then put inside. Oh yes, let's wind it back. Let's wind it back. So when they arrive, there's this building mm -hmm. in the field where they are, and of course somebody asks, "What's that building for?" And they says, "No, we can't go in there. That's a sacred place." Mm -hmm. So, so the movie ends up in that building, where we find all of the people who are, who are apparently have left are all mm -hmm. in there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They've all been drugged, or they're already dead, and uh, they're all going to be burned alive or the building's going to be burnt mm -hmm. um, to try and placate the gods. Right, yeah. 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 And um, Danny has to watch this with her lovely uh, flowery um, tiara type. I'm trying to think what right. that's called. A flowery she, crown. Yeah, flowery she crown. she won. Yeah. She has to watch all of this happening, mm -hmm. and um, it is just, uh Yeah. She sobs in anguish and horror, but gradually <laughs> begins to smile. And then the movie ends. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that is, yeah, Midsommar. It's, um, so what does that mean? So she did actually win. Maybe. Yeah, I think, um, I think she's not sure what the smile is from, whether it's because whether it's she's on massive amounts of psychedelics and she's not really sure what the the line is between reality and, and whatever it is that she's seeing but uh the ending is um incredibly disturbing <laughs> i mean the whole film is disturbing right right, right. it does uh, sound like the wicker man like with a sort of building creepiness but also people all around going oh come on it's fine don't worry about it yeah exactly and there's a lot of that mm. but there is also a lot of creeping uh, the sense that something horrible is coming mm, mm. but you don't know what it is mm. so i think that 
you know, a movie like this, because it's referencing an existing genre of of movie, which is the you know the folk horror tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you can't be clever about it. You've got to kind of do the tropes and say, yes, we are riffing on those things, mm-hmm. but you don't know what's coming. Mm-hmm. So you know something bad is coming, but you don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And what it eventually ends up to be is something quite horrific and nasty. <laughs> cool. Um, so why, why do you like it so much? I, th- I really like it because, uh, you know, I was talking earlier on about Hereditary, which is, I think, a flawed movie, but a movie, a movie that shows a great deal of promise for a film mm-hmm. director. And when I heard about this and saw the trailers and the post, the poster is stunning piece of marketing. Mm. Um, I just thought, okay, I think I'm sold on this already. I think that Hereditary showed enough promise that if he can, you know, improve on the storytelling, we could be looking at something quite special. And I think, I think Midsommar is actually quite special, but it is, as Mark Kermode said on his, on his um, film program, it is at its heart a breakup movie. So it's okay, a movie okay. about a deteriorating relationship. So tell me a bit more about that. So does it change through the film? Yeah. So they they remain. Uh, so they are they are distant when we first meet them. This couple, mm-hmm. and as the movie goes on, they become more distant, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it culminates with him going off to you know do this deed which she then walks in on and starts crying about. And that's almost like that's the deed that breaks them up properly. Okay. And then she eventually is satisfied that he's been killed. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that kind of makes sense. Yeah, it does kind of make sense. Yeah. In in the twisted logic of the film, it makes sense. Right, right, right. Um, but I think that what he has proved uh, from Hereditary, he's got an eye for the uncanny. Mm-hmm. So, um, in in the movie Hereditary, all of the angles and um, every scene has been very carefully put together and lit and composed to unsettle you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that when you see a static shot of a scene, everything has been placed to make you feel un- uneasy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you see, you have these internet memes of, things to set off your OCD <laughs> you know if you some nice brick lane but one of the bricks is out of whack mm-hmm. so all the scenes in hereditary are like that it's designed to ramp up your tension without you actually really realizing why it's happening right but if you but- watch it more than once you can see what he's doing but it is clever and it is it's right. engaging but, but then doing. in midsummer you're saying that then the storytelling is the storytelling is more is much more solid in in Midsummer, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. he's still using those same things to unsettle you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's very effective. In that, even though what they've walked into looks like a hippie commune, there's clearly something sinister going on. Right. <laughs> clearly, something nasty, something bubbling under the surface. So, is it is it playing on our fear of like? Uh weird alternative people definitely yes it's playing on play, playing on the perceived fear of paganism mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you know paganism is just multi-deity worship 
there's plenty of pagan people in the world. So, um, um, but so it's not really a, yeah, it's, it's about the perceived mistrust of paganism mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and what it, what might happen. Are they um, speaking English? Yes. There's a little, there's some Swedish, but most people speak English to each other and to the rest of the cast. Uh, the character's American? Yes. So is it also playing on fear of foreigners then? Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a fear of, there's a fear of foreigners, there's a fear of the uncanny as well. Even though everything that happens in it is rooted in human evil. Mm -hmm. um, nothing supernatural happens in the movie. Mm -hmm. It's all human intervention. No Norse gods, so I wasn't very close there. Yeah, no, no, kind of. I mean, it's set in Sweden, so yeah, you're not far away. Um, but what it, I think, what it, what it manages to do is it treads the same kind of plot as the Wicker Man, mm -hmm. but it does it in such a way that you that it, it's fresh. It feels fresh. It feels exciting. It feels new, even though it's kind of the same thing. So here's the question. Does it teach us anything about human relationships? You know, this breakup at the, at the heart of it. Is it does it oh, basically tell yeah. us that, um, you know, your relationship's doomed to fail or even... Is it really um, just about him saying, uh, you know, this woman just wants to hurt me? I think that it teaches you that if you feel that your relationship is done, you should break up immediately rather than going to Sweden. Right. And, and indulging in strange rituals, doing a thing, and then and then getting burned alive. Getting burned. <laughs> yeah, so they're kind of. Um, I'm going to paraphrase Woody Allen here, but I think in Annie Hall he says, "I think I think our relationship is like a shark. I think that it stopped swimming and it's going to die." <laughs> that sounds like Christopher Walken, but it's. <laughs> it sounds was, like Christopher Walken doing an impression of, of Woody Allen. Of Woody Allen. <laughs> So it's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> I do a good Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken's quite hard to do. But he's in um he's in that movie about Eddie the Eagle. Is he? Yeah. And I remember watching it thinking his lines should just be What you do is you jump down you don't fall. Don't fall. Don't fall. <laughs> That kind of twitchy energy that he has. Yeah, isn't he in Wayne's World too? Yes. Or Wayne's He's, World. He he um, says to Carl, "You you want me to say what?" <laughs> oh, it's, oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want me to say what? Right. You want, you want me to say what? Right. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm a bit worried about watching Wayne's World again. It's not very woke. Yeah, I'm, I imagine it won't be very woke. No, it definitely won't be. Uh, um, I think, yeah, I think there's a yeah. lot of stuff in it that's quite dodgy. Um, yeah. But, but, but I think it's kind of it's of its time, and it is still funny. I mean, yeah, I remember it. I remember all the bits in it, and I find them very funny. Yeah, and if ever I meet somebody called Anthony, which I don't very often, <laughs> I want to say. Who's Anthony? Who's, Who's Anthony? Anthony? Who's Anthony? My drummer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 That's what I thought yeah. of it. <laughs> it sucks as it cuts. It does. Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves there. Yeah, so, <laughs> listener, 
Midsommar is Midsommar is terrific. Cool. It yeah. sounds scary. It is. It's got. Excuse me. I'm yawning. Um, it's got. It's got a weird energy to it. Um, that you just can't stop watching, even though you know that things are not going to go well. Do you know what I've got recorded on my um, TV recording system and not yet watched? What's that? Get Out. Wow, you enjoy that. It's waiting, and I haven't summoned up the courage to watch it yet. Well, oh, that'll be a treat. Yeah, that'll be a treat. Get Out is terrific. Hopefully I'll listen to it before the next pod, and then we can talk about it. Mm. Yeah, and you'll be looking forward to watching Us at some point as well. Us, yeah. Yeah. Or the well, Uses, think... as it's called. <laughs> um uh, yeah, I think I'm looking forward to Get Out more, but but hopefully they'll both be good. Yeah, it's very good. It's very good. Uh, that's it. That's all I got. Give me some that, plugging. That's all she wrote. Um, I've got another podcast feed, Movie Mashup, No Camel Case, No Caps. I haven't Camel posted to it for a while because I haven't really had anything to talk about. So have you done um, your backlog? You said you had a few things you were going Yes. Yeah, I've got through the backlog. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm, I'm waiting for that. The thing is that I went to see a lot of stuff that was quite bums on seats during the summer. What does that mean? A lot of people went to see them. Okay, okay. So I kind of thought, yeah, I don't really want to talk about those. I need to talk about them. Exactly. You know, Joker. Ugh. Is it okay? It's so nihilistic. Okay, that sounds then, good. Yeah, I know. And and I think that um it's a very brave movie, Joker, for a for a studio like Warner Brothers. Okay. To make a film that focuses solely on the character of Joker, who is, mm-hmm. you know, probably the ultimately nihilistic superhero mm-hmm. supervillain. Mm-hmm. Who believes in nothing. I believe mm-hmm. in we believe in nothing, Lebowski, Mr. Lebowski. Um <laughs> Is he like Trump? Um, no, no. What good is he? I just, yeah, I found it to be just too bleak. Okay. Too bleak. You might enjoy it. I mean, I I have found films too bleak. There's that example we always Requiem for a Dream, yeah. Requiem for a Dream. It's too bleak. How much more bleak could it be? Answer, none more bleak. (laughs) (laughs) I also found the road pretty near too bleak. Now you like that. I really enjoy. I mean, it's hard to say that I enjoyed it. But yes, I did like it. That would not be a word. No, it wouldn't be a word that I would use. But I really did like the road. I it, think, even though it is bleak, I found it to be ultimately quite uplifting. Once I figured out what I thought it meant, which was mm. essentially, it was about grieving. Yes. Um, about then I moving think, on, yeah, or not moving on, maybe. But anyway, certainly about grieving mm. for for someone you love who's died, and the whole world kind of um, doing the pathetic fallacy and like following dying it. But you know, the whole world is dead. Feels like the whole world is dead because this person you love has died. Yeah. Then once I had that understanding of it, I felt like I could deal with it, and it expressed that. Uh, emotion incredibly I think powerful. that's why I liked it so much right I think that's why I liked it so much um, 
Yeah. So yes, I found Requiem for a Dream to be too much. I found the road to be ultimately uplifting, but it's, it's, it's a different a type of bleak. It's a tough watch. Yeah. I mean, yes, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is. It is. It is a different type of bleak. Yeah. Yeah. But Joker was just bleak and nihilistic and hopeless. Right. I feel um, like I should see it just to. But you know, it's understand what you're talking business. about. Yeah, it's that is surprising. Business. Yeah. Over a billion. That is surprising. For a movie about a man with severe mental health issues who goes on a killing spree. Um, and Joaquin Phoenix is good in it, but I think that he's better in the movie that we talked about on this pod, You Were Never Really Here. Right, right, right. I think he's I better whether, in that movie. So I feel like there's a whole audience of people who think they like superhero films, but mm-hmm. actually are looking for something more. And yeah. so many of these films give you nothing to go on with. Maybe there's this hunger for, or maybe like what was the one about the bloke? Um, with isn't he got like swords on his hands or something? Swords on his hands. Oh, Wolverine. Or is it Wolverine? Yeah, and that and that film like was a, like a darker thing. And that, yeah, and Logan was really is popular. terrific. Yeah, yeah, Logan yeah. Logan is yeah. really terrific. And the point, my point is, yeah, there's a whole load of people who think they like superhero films, but actually they're so shallow. When something that suggests it might be a bit deeper comes along. Mm. People want it. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's why the Chris Nolan movies do so well. Yeah. Is because they have depth to them. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, they don't all, but I think I think the first two have definitely have some depth to them. The Batman ones? Yes. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah which were fine, but, but I felt like they under-delivered on depth. Um, but yeah, I, I, I still think it fits in with what I'm saying. No, it does. It does fit in with, with what you're saying, yeah. I think that Zack Snyder's Watchmen tries its best to have depth, but fails. Right. I don't know much about that. Now, did did yeah. I see an advert for that? Is it a film or a series? Uh, there's a series now, which is yeah, I think incredibly good reviews. I saw a trailer, and it looked good. Yeah, it does look good. I think it's um, produced by Damon Lindelof, who is one of the... He was one of the showrunners of Lost, one of the writers of Lost, among mm-hmm. many other mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. So he's a J.J. Abrams collaborator, but Watchmen is his baby. <laughs> What's interesting about it is it is basically a sequel to the original graphic novel. So rather than a okay. remake, <laughs> um, it's a sequel set in the present day, which is right. really interesting. Right. And it's getting incredible reviews, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, I found Joker to be just too bleak. And then there's <laughs> Once, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I liked with caveats, although I did talk about that on my pod. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my caveat being that Quentin Tarantino still needs someone to tell him no. Ah, yes, okay. I was trying to remember what it was. Yeah, you don't that need that scene there. <laughs> you can cut it. <laughs> Apart from that, it's really good. I feel like Tarantino's got maybe some kind of magnum opus in him. If he if he teamed up with someone uh, who did that kind of thing, or or maybe mm. just maybe he'll just being let off the leash is just going to really work for like a film or a pair of films. I don't know. I think he needs he needs constraints to make it work. When he's and unconstrained then he's undisciplined. You could imagine something like Kill Bill could have been One like movie. the ultimate peak. Yeah. No, no, no. But I mean, you know, the pair of movies or whatever. But then it was good. I liked it. I liked both of them. But mm. it's not quite the... I feel like he must have something in him, but I haven't watched any of his recent films, so what do I know? 
Yeah, they've been nice though, patchy. We've discussed his patchiness of late. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Any other plugging? No, that's it. Do some plugging. Okay. Um, I have a blog at artificialworlds.net slash blog, where you can just find out all about me at artificialworlds.net. Um, I mostly do, like, programming type stuff. Uh, this is like one of my few non-programming like pieces of output. Indeed, of which I am grateful. <laughs> it's it's quite a lot more fun. Um, uh, <laughs> so I recently made a video about uh, Kotlin. It's specifically Kotlin JS, which is Kotlin is a programming language. Kotlin JS is a way of writing Kotlin so that you can make web pages with it. Mm -hmm. I wrote a snake game uh, in Kotlin JS. It worked pretty well. I it, I enjoyed it. And it had equal shortest number of lines of code of any of my snake games. That's very pleasing. With Python, which is well, well known for not needing many lines of code. So mm -hmm. that's pretty impressive. That is impressive. Oh, actually, that's not really true. So the one that really has the fewest lines of code is the one written in Sinclair Basic <laughs> for the ZX Spectrum. But uh, to be fair, that has a different user interface, which took fewer lines of code. So it doesn't really count. No. Okay. Anyway, so like you can find my videos on YouTube or on PeerTube. I'm I'm Andy Balam on PeerTube.mastodon.host. Nice. PeerTube is like a video thing that is not controlled by the man. Yeah. Uh, you can find all my stuff on artificialworlds.net. Uh, this podcast, is, by the way, is called Good Robot Andy's. Um, if you use your favourite search engine to search for Good Robot Andy's, you, sh you should find us. We have an about page with loads of links to all kinds of stuff. A book. Um, we're, we're good robot andy's at mastodon.social on mastodon. Uh, other, um, less good social media is available and we're on some of that too. We're on Twitter, you mean? Yeah. We're not on any <laughs> of the other ones, are we? There no, we're ones. not, no. No. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And if yeah. you're interested in that kind of weird, um, alternative social networks that don't like try to control you or manipulate you and your children, there's an episode on that. Um, look back in our history. I think it's called uh, What's it? "Behavior Ma Manipulation" or "Why You Should Quit Facebook." Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's what it's called. That's what it's called. I'm probably paraphrasing there a bit, but no, I think it's pretty. I'm pretty sure it's that was almost exactly right. Yeah, that's my ridiculous memory. I can't remember anything useful. <laughs> I can remember a, a conversation I had with someone ten years ago. Right. I can't remember anything else that's useful. Yeah, you remember lots of bits from films as well. Yes, I do. I have a trivia brain. Yeah, indeed. I think cool. that's it. Cool. Well, we managed to get through the whole podcast without mentioning the fact that there's an election on Thursday. I was there. I hadn't noticed, to paraphrase um, four weddings and a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> right. That suggests that you were so transfixed by watching my face on the video chat. Mm hmm. Exactly so. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Anyway, so um, vote wisely, vote often. Vote once, not many times <laughs> with other people's names. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next time. Yes. Goodbye, listener. <laughs> <laughs>